Hi, everybody. Happy in the middle bit between Christmas and New Year. Ooh, very nice. Thank you very much. I'm trying to get a range of greeting cards out. Uh, it's going very slow. No one wants to buy greetings cards after Christmas. Very weird. Yeah. Dan and Andy here. Uh, we just want to quickly let you know what you're about to listen to. Uh, this is a compilation of all the outtakes from the whole of 2017. Every podcast, we always chop away a lot of stuff, and James has been secretly collecting it to put together for this big bumper edition, 78-minute-long... 78 minutes? 78 minutes of outtake. I could watch a short children's film or a very, very long episode of Frasier in that time. Frasier made 78-minute-long episodes? I don't believe so, but uh, it was the the only thing I could think of that's shorter than 78 minutes. (laughs) So what we're saying is, please do enjoy it, unless there's a weird Frasier marathon on, in which case we give you licence to go and watch that instead. We hope you enjoy this. Have a wonderful New Year when it comes... I will see you then. All right. On with the outtakes. I'm off to watch Frasier. Did you guys know that anteaters, who have obviously famously long tongues, have got very, very few taste buds? Really? Yeah. What does one taste but every meter? They can hardly taste what they're eating. Well, they're eating shitty ants and, you know, termites and (laughs) stuff. They're eating ants and they occasionally swallow dirt as well, is the other thing. Yeah, really. So it may be an advantage. You don't need to be. Because all ants are going to taste the same, right? They're going to taste vinegary. No. Yeah, they are. Because they're full of formic acid. That's so antis. Disagree. (laughs) 100% disagree. Because there are some of those ants, and they. Do you remember they swallow honey? And they hang upside down, and they're sort of honey repositories. Imagine how much you must think you've lucked out when you get the odd honey-tasting ant. <laughs> Such a relief. Um, they have, well, pangolins, which look quite similar, have their tongues attached to their pelvis. Um, I don't know if Andy's <laughs> the same thing, because they have such long tongues, um, and they start at their pelvis. So I think their tongues are... So they're attached at the back. They're attached they at the back. They can't. Yeah. <laughs> on the inside of them. Yeah, it's not yeah, like yeah. their tongue comes out and then sweeps round. That's Wait. what I was thinking. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. It can't be all tongue all the way back. It's to all tongue all the way back <laughs> into a pangolin. Their tongues are longer than their bodies are. What's the, what's the point of that? Um, so you can, I guess, manoeuvre it all the way down the tongue. And once it's back at the pelvis, the food's practically <laughs> there. But you barely need a digestive system. I don't know. They've just... That's the truth. That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't it true that um, I think woodpeckers have them all the way through back into the skull and they wind yes. around their skull? I've seen like a mm. x-ray of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that helps cushion their skull when they're pecking, doesn't it? As is well it? as being a useful really? place to store their tongue. Mm. Do you know what the longest tongue is? And this is relation to this body size. Pa- it must be this pangolin. I, <laughs> I think... I No, go on. Go for it, no. Have a bat. Is it a bat? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, it's nice. the tube-lipped nectar bat. Mm. And its tongue can go to 1.5 times the length of its actual Whoa. body. Wow. So that's the longest tongue in proportion to body size. Exactly, in I, a mammal. I know the Latin a name of... for that bat. Oh, do you? Yeah, Anora fistulata. <laughs> How on earth did you remember that? <laughs> it's weird that with um, it having such a massive tongue and the tongue being 1.5 times bigger than the whole thing that they chose to name it after the lip. Yes. Yeah. That's true. But maybe they didn't see the tongue for a long time. They maybe they're like, whoa, look at that lip. Almost no one had ever seen the tongue because it's always in the um, these massively long flower um, noses. What am I saying? Yes. Flower noses? The flower noses. The flower you know, noses. The trumpet the of a flower. Yeah. So did they think that the bat's face was a flower? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bat that's got the head of a flower. It's really weird. Do you know 
when an elephant's charging you when you should be nervous. It's running towards you very is it, fast. Is it only about 30 centimetres before it hits you that you panic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not that. If an elephant has its trunk out, this is according to... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. What is the, how can it have its trunk in? If it's up its bum. If it's, if, it's like, if it's like coiled up, I guess, and like not in use. Yeah, it's if its trunk is like da- is facing downwards or coiled up or looks sure. relaxed. It's it, always out, though, isn't it? It is always out, so it's never sucked into its face. Yeah. It, if it's like lifting uh, up and it's doing like one of those like charge of the light brigade like fanfares out of it, like and charging at you, that's when you know it's going to attack. No, it's not going to attack then when it's doing the charge of the light brigade. So when it's got its trunk protruding out towards you, you can absolutely relax. You're going to be fine. Apparently, that's a bluff. And it's when the trunk's down and relax that they're doing a proper charge. I've never seen an elephant with its trunk straight out like a... Well, that's because they genuinely want to trample you down, James. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen that, though? I've never even seen a picture of that. I haven't really. You're running with your fist out, ready to hit someone. But you very rarely get to photograph an elephant charging from the side on, don't you? Normally, Mm. human-elephant contact is rare enough, especially on safari, that... There wouldn't be another group of people photographing the elephant from the side. So you're saying he, he saw it face on and it just looked like an elephant without a trunk because it was pointing straight <laughs> yeah. out. That's exactly what I'm I saying. do see that, but I'm just surprised I've never I'm come su- across a picture like that I if agree. it's something that happens. I'm surprised I didn't look at Google Image it as soon as I read the facts. So what's going to happen if the, if, the, if the trunk is stretched out and it's bluffing? Will it just get up to you and then there'll just be an awkward height? Get up to you and then nozzle you friend, oh, okay. in a friendly manner. And shove its uh, trunk in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> just thinks you're stressed. Uh, it's just to scare you away. Oh, okay. I think it would work for me. Even if I remembered this conversation and thought, <laughs> Hannah said that that's not going to hurt me. Imagine I if I've got this the wrong way around yeah. and how guilty I'm going to feel. <laughs> well, I always forget the numbers. I always think 99% of elephant charges are bluffs. And then I think, or is that 99% of <laughs> shark attacks? Yeah. And actually only 4% of elephant charges are bluffs. <laughs> but then, and then it's also like, but the black bear and the brown bear, but then brown bears can be black. Oh. And then which one is which? It's a nightmare. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just run away from them all, I think is what we're saying. <laughs> Just live in a city. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you heard of Hobart's Funnies? No. No. Good, great. Um, so these were tanks that were used in D-Day, and there was this whole range, like a range of superheroes, basically. They all each had their own special superpower. Were they named Funnies because they're unusual? Yeah, pretty much. That, right? that was a sort of nickname they were given. Right. There was one whose sole job was to carry massive bundles of sticks. <laughs> ah, f- Faskies. Faskies, exactly. It was called the Faskine Carrier. And it basically, if you came to a, a, a ramp that was too steep or a hole in the ground that you needed to fill in, it just dropped a few massive bundles of... And these were enormous bundles of sticks. And that's where the name fascism comes from. Exactly. So it was using the Faskine Carrier to defeat fascism. Yeah, clever. Oh. Mm. They were the first ones, actually, the first armoured vehicle launch bridges were the ones that just carried a big bunch of sticks and then tipped them into a ditch. It, might, it kind of seemed very scary if those were the first things the Germans saw on the horizon. <laughs> the well, least scary robot wars robots. Yeah. <laughs> but you would think that the, like in the end of Macbeth, spoiler alert, the trees, <laughs> the trees are coming towards you. Oh right? yeah, that's true, yeah. I guess any German soldiers who had done English GCSE <laughs> would have been frightened. <laughs> Did you guys know that, and I'm not sure that this is true, so I'm sort of asking as well as saying, um, that in France, camembert is the the translated equivalent of our pie chart. It is. 
Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Camembert. Really? Camembert charts. Pie charts. So every... Look at this camembert yeah. for a pie chart. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that's because the correct way to eat camembert is to slice it into pie shapes, really. Mm. Mm. Um, and then the people who think Theresa May would be a better prime minister get one bit of the cheese. <laughs> they get people... a tiny little slither of cheese. <laughs> And the don't knows just get a massive yeah. amount of cheese. Um, and actually, on Reddit, I think it was this year, or it was late last year, they had a big argument where somebody showed a picture of a camembert that their mum had cut. And their mum had cut it in not a slicey way. Uh, and this was a French lady, and they were all saying she should be kicked out of the country for that. <laughs> I've got to uh, say, I, can't, I wouldn't cross my mind not to slice it up like a pie. Who's doing it in a slicey way? That's insane. Uh, this behavior. lady. Well, this lady. Uh, well, I would have and, her kicked out. Well, they didn't kick her out, I don't think, in the end. Mm. Um, but someone said, oh, there's a cause for loss of nationality. And another commenter <laughs> said, take her to the British border immediately. <laughs> oh. I actually cut off the top of the camembert, the yeah. whole thing. Just I the just, mold. I just eat that. Because <laughs> that is just solid bacteria isn't it, is it? basically the, I think the, so the rind of the camembert yeah, the edible it's rind. like a, it's a solid mat of mould yeah. and then the bacteria is the little brownie bits and you should have some brown bits on it but not too much like a banana yes like a banana mm. that depends what you like in a banana also probably depends what you like in a camembert mm. no this is objective fact <laughs> <laughs> So I'd, I'd been to Pompeii, um, I went last year, and there was a lot of brothels there that they found which were still standing. Um, oh. In particular, there's one called Lupina, and the Latin for that is um, she-wolf, which was slang for prostitute. And um, it was two levels, had five rooms, and you know that it's a brothel because on the walls there are still depictions of people in various positions having sex. And they think the idea behind that was it was almost like porn material to be watching while you were having sex. It was the equivalent of uh, having a pornographic movie on in the background for them. Isn't that weird? They had porn on their walls in the brothel. It might have been like one of those menus where (laughs) if you don't speak the language, you just point at the thing you want. But yeah, no, it's an extraordinary place. Highly recommend uh, you go there. They also, one of the things I find amazing about Pompeii, or it might be Herculaneum, which was the place nearby that the same thing happened to it, is the scrolls that were found. So 800 scrolls were found, perfectly preserved, as everything there was. And it's, you know, one of the ancient world's best surviving libraries, most extensive surviving libraries. And we can't read it, or we can't read a huge amount of it, because they're in such a delicate state that we can't touch them. So we've got all these rolled up scrolls, and we don't know what they say. um, And they're sitting in museums and stuff, and we're just developing the x-ray technology to try and read bits of them and they've just found out that they use lead sometimes in the ink and now x-rays can see what the lead shapes are and work out what they read but how annoying is that we wouldn't you just if i saw that i'd try and unroll one just in case. oh well they did try but every time they tried they would just fall apart right. oh so they did sample that a few yeah times. they tried it and they would fall apart and then i read an article i don't know how this would work but one time they said they tried to open it and it exploded Whoa. Don't know how wow. it explode. That, don't know how that works. Wow. But yeah, this X-ray stuff is really interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. they they can virtually unroll scrolls, which yeah. is just unbelievable. It's yeah, so really cool. cool. So they kind of get the X-ray um, scan of it, and then they go, okay, now we're going to take off the first layer, and they can unroll it, and they can see what's on the next layer, which is just outrageous. Yeah, that's super it's cool. Amazing. Mm. How many scrolls do you think they ruined that turned to dust in their hand before they went, you know what, this isn't working? I would have stopped after about 50. I <laughs> 
In the 1930s, sociologist Norbert Elias walked around Europe with his shoelaces untied to see what people would say to him. No. He did. What was his real name, though? <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. That oh, sounds like Alias. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, he found that in England, most um, old men won that he might fall over. Uh, when he was in Germany, um, the older men would look at him with contempt. Wow. Uh, and he was walking around a Spanish fishing village with his shoelaces untied, and he felt that he was being warned that his laces were untied, but he felt that it was helping him to be included in the village community. Really? Yeah, really? I I think I read about this guy. There's something about, I don't know what country, he was walking and a bunch of girls were giggling at him, little girls were giggling at him because of the untying of the shoelaces, and then he tied them up, and that really transformed how he felt about his connection to the places that he was mm-hmm. in. When he realised who he was, yeah. That's was, weird, because if I saw someone walking around with their shoelaces untied, I think my instinct would be to go and try and step on one of them to trip them over. Did he not find that happened a lot? <laughs> <laughs> or to, to wait until they stop and then to tie them together. So yes. they definitely Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. If you've got enough time for that, that's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys know about the orangutan that can tie knots? And we don't know why. And this sounds like a, it's a bullshit animal fact. But it's genuinely true, and it's bizarre. So there's this orangutan called Watana. Uh, she was born, I think it's a she. Yeah, she was born in 1995 in Belgium. And this guy called Chris Hertzfield has written a book about her. But she ties knots, and no one's ever taught her to do it. And she just find, if she finds two threads or two vines or whatever, then she ties them together. I and think she... she's trying to escape. <laughs> <laughs> Is she kept in a very high zoo? <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's never tried to climb up out of them or hang herself from them. She's <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Are you quoting here? That got another... dark very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> that was my instinct when he said she was trying to escape, and right. I realised that I'd got it wrong. Escape but... <laughs> from the monotony of life. <laughs> <laughs> There was an article in the New York Times from 1976 which reports an occasion where there was an exhibition game of football between a team from China and a team from Athens and over the loudspeaker a tune started blaring and both teams stood up and put hands on hearts because, you know, they they assumed it was the other one's national anthem and it turned out it was a toothpaste advert. (laughs) Everyone in the stadium stood up and respectfully... That's amazing. That's really good. Do you know what the rules are about singing the anthem? The government have said that you should dress appropriately... Right. Also, okay. that you should stand still. Right. And that you should be full of energy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Stand still and fo- so you're ready to go. Basically, yeah. you have to be. To I blow. think you have to be quivering. Basically, <laughs> that's not still. It's no. You're right. You're right. I don't know how do you. As soon convey- as they finish, everyone's just going <laughs> to explode in some kind of. Yeah. And you're not allowed to whisper during it. You're no. not allowed to talk on the phone during it. But lots of countries have weird rules, don't they? That's true. I think yeah. Philippines, in the Philippines, the national anthem has to be between 100 and 120 beats per minute. Um, the Star Spangled Banner, when that was first written, it was supposed to be conspirito, which means with spirit. Um, oh, in- I thought you meant it was meant to be called... No. Conspirito. <laughs> it sounds like a magician. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, the um, God Save the Queen, uh, George V, he thought he was an expert because he'd listened to it so many times. <laughs> and he said... <laughs> <laughs> it was called God Save the King then as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just desperate pleading for some kind of skill. How many times have you listened to it? <laughs> 
If that is fair, he is like, I'm the person who has to hear this more than any of you. That's true. So please, true. can you sing it right? But if he sings it, it's called God Save Me. And that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that doesn't scan. Yeah. God yeah. Save Our Gracious Me. It was like Prince Philip's joke. He jokes that he's the world's best plaque unveiler. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's, and there's a great cut of him saying it repeatedly. It's still, yeah. it's still a good joke. Anyway, he said that um, the opening section, you should set your metronome to 60. And then later on, it goes down to 52. Well, that's pretty slow, that. Um, what sort of as everyone loses energy? No, no, that's always a, it's that big ending of an American national anthem. No, you're talking about God Save the Queen. I'm talking about oh, God, sorry, Save, God the Save the Queen, yeah. Oh. So the American national anthem was supposed to be quite, you know, conspirator with spirit. It was supposed to be kind of quite upbeat and whatever. Mm. Of course, these days... If you watch the Super Bowl, you can bet on how long it's going to be, and the the average is usually about one minute fifty or something. Wow. I think. Yeah. Is that is that slow? Uh, yeah. So they put loads of extra notes in, like they're on American Idol, don't they? <laughs> uh, other things that are being played at the wrong tempo. Oh yeah, a lot Ooh. of Beethoven. So this is a theory oh. that Beethoven's metronome was broken. <laughs> that just sounds like a sick burn from a reviewer, doesn't it? <laughs> Wait, so he wrote no. his songs at the wrong tempo? Or? No, he wrote them at the wrong tempo because his metronome was wrong. So this is some research that's been done by... Uh, by Brahms. <laughs> Because he you has... start playing like, whoa, this is fast. <laughs> no, 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 that's not. So he played it at yeah. a tempo that doesn't sound fast. But he even went through a phase of writing pieces of music that are unplayably fast. Oh. So between 1850 and 1820, the timing that he writes, uh, the time that he says he should play it in, is like unplayably fast. It's impossible. So no one plays it at that tempo. And everyone thinks, well, why on earth did he write this? It sounds awful. It's frantic and mad. And it turns out this guy called Peter Stardlin, who's a pianist, did some in-depth research and some mathematical analysis and worked out that the metronome he had was weighted slightly wrong. So Beethoven was just writing down the wrong stuff because his metronome was ticking wrong. So when his metronome was saying, yeah, you're playing at 60 beats a minute, he was actually playing at 90 beats a minute. That is yeah. brilliant. That's amazing to know he wrote to a metronome. I, I'd never well, thought he, that would have Well, he actually case. owned the first ever metronome, I think, or he owned a metronome that was made by the inventor of the metronome. He was really wow. excited by this new technology. Turns out it wasn't actually quite <laughs> developed fully yet. Yes, yeah. I suppose it's plausible that you could have a... Uh, um, a pianist who writes music and all of his keys are out of tune and then when he writes it down yeah. it's just a completely different tune to what he thought it was yeah. like every single time Beethoven thought he was writing happy birthday or something but then his keys just kept going out of tune and do you think just... Beethoven's ninth is actually happy birthday yeah just miswritten uh, i don't really think that <laughs> um there's a really creepy ant colony that um they've just discovered in poland which lives in an old soviet nuclear bunker um and basically there's this ant's nest on top of a ventilation pipe outlet that comes up from the nuclear bunker but a lot of ants are falling through um this ventilation oh, pipe yeah. and they're falling into the bunker below which is about three meters underground and then they can't get out so they can't climb up the walls and get back out and they keep they do what ants do so they build nests and they operate as ants but they have no food obviously so they die eventually but they constantly are being replenished so there's this deadly community where new ants keep falling down onto what is now about a a few centimeters thick layer of their dead comrades and then they just keep working and building at their nests and they die and then their stock is replenished that's like like six sci-fi films it is isn't it it sounds like a metaphor for soviet times (laughs) (laughs) It does. I'm thinking it's kind of like a metaphor for life, isn't it? Yeah. That's really just what we're doing. Yeah, just falling into a life and dying on top of our dead comrades. 
And on that note... In 1850, there's an article that um, I found it in the English Civil Engineer and Architects Journal, and it states that the Academy of Sciences in France was considering an idea for a suspension bridge between England and France, so going from Dover to Calais. Four barges would be sunk um, at equal distances apart across the channel, um, and then they'd have chains going up from the barges to the surface, and then the chains would be fixed to the bridge, which would run from England to France, and then above the bridge would be these huge balloons. Uh, It described them as giant balloons of elliptical form and firmly secured, which would support in the air the extremity of these chains. In my head, I'm imagining it like the big red balls in Total Wipeout, and you could just bounce from balloon to balloon. That Now, I can see that working. <laughs> <laughs> what I think about those big plastic balls is they're in South America somewhere, aren't they? Mm-hmm. If mankind kind of collapses mm. quite soon, and then <laughs> the whole of the world just kind of becomes grown over by plants and stuff like that, they're made of plastic, so they won't really biodegrade. Mm-hmm. So if aliens come along, all they'll see really is these big plastic things around. No, no, I don't think that's true. No, I think I, that's true. If they landed in South America, all of the um, concrete and stuff would go before the plastic, surely. But we've got a lot more plastic than just the balls <laughs> that are used in this weird TV no, show. Sure, sure, sure. But they'd probably think that that was the centre of human civilization or something. Like, but, this is where they built their greatest temple. Exactly. Yeah. You would probably look at it and they probably... They're maybe north-south uh, aligned or something like that. <laughs> or they probably work out that they're aligned with the sun or something, and they mm-hmm. think that it was a temple. Yeah, or they think it's a model of the planets. They think it's an early human attempt to understand the solar system. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that the different sizes represent the different things. I they're all the same size, though. So they'd be like, these <laughs> idiotic humans. They thought that Mars and Jupiter were the same size. Actually, James, you make a very compelling argument. Think of all the temples, the step pyramids in South yeah. America. Think what game show they probably were. Yeah, true. <laughs> Remember in um, Gladiators, they used to have a thing where you had to climb up a pyramid. That was probably it. Yeah. 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 You get to the top, and at the top, you're sacrificed <laughs> to the gods. <laughs> Um, I think we all know that they'll assume the Disney plastic castle in Paris oh, is yeah. an ultimate temple. That's true. Millions oh, God, of years. We're going to leave such weird stuff behind. I was reading an article the other day about what happens first when, uh, if, if all humans disappeared, the, the rough running order of how things wind down. <laughs> and, um, it was fascinating because it was talking about actually concrete lasts a lot less time than yeah. you would think because freezing and thawing are in, let's say, in New York, uh, actually in about 10 years, lots of plants will have um, grown in between the cracks in the concrete and it'll all be working loose. Yeah. And actually it's quite quickly that you end up with... In nothing. 10 years? <laughs> it might be a bit more than that. Well, I did think... Because they don't just rebuild New York every 10 years, do so they? If, I mean, if this is predicting the apocalypse and they're like, well, all the concrete's going to disappear in 10 years, that should have been headline. I can't believe they buried the news. But it is a fair point, perhaps, that in 1,500 years or 2,000 years, that only the um, Disney Tower in Paris, the one in um, Disneyland, the one in Disney World, these are going to be the only buildings left because they're made of plastic. Yeah. Are they made of plastic? <laughs> we assume. Or just Wendy houses. <laughs> I think we all lived a tiny, a tiny race of... Polly Pockets. Yeah. <laughs> all the exhibits in their museums will be, you know, little um, Playmobil dolls and Lego people. <laughs> so we think that these were the life forms themselves frozen uh, when the disaster came. Why don't we talk about bridges? God <laughs> knows. Absolutely lost it. How does Dan keep this thing together? It's so hard to know. Oh, it's so much fun when teachers are 
Um, they used to, in the medieval times, draw elephants with actual trumpets for trunks. Did they? Yeah. So the idea, they think, is not that they actually thought this was the case, but it was kind of an allegorical way of drawing. It would be very weird if they thought it was the case, <laughs> if they'd seen an elephant and they saw a trumpet. But, um, but the idea being that they did make loud noises, and they thought that no- noises came from the trunks, and the only way you can show them on a picture is by showing the trunk as an actual no. trumpet. Oh, cool. And they think maybe a lot of medieval pictures are like this. They're more allegorical than actually literal. Oh, that's kind of like so whenever you put anything that has notes coming out of it, like to symbolise music. Music, like yeah, that, animal a bit like that, no yeah. musical notation. It's not actually, yeah. Yeah. Wait, you said they thought that the noise came out of the trunks. It does, doesn't it? I don't know. They, yeah, do they, they do. do. It yeah, sounds very do. nasal, the noise. I think it comes out of the trunk. Sure. You're basing this off <laughs> your own I just tried doing it, yeah, yeah. And it sounded very elephantine yeah. when I did it out of the nose. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and now with the mouth? Ha! It's not the same. <laughs> Actually, did you read about that woman, I think it was in this country this week or last week, who um, ordered a takeaway and she put a note on the takeaway when it said, are there any delivery instructions, saying, I feel so ill, I've got terrible flu, can't get out of bed, please could you stop by a chemist on the way and bring me some Benadryl, I don't even want the takeaway, I'm only ordering this so you can do that. (laughs) And so this restaurant brought her 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 medication. (laughs) There was a Chinese restaurant near me that used to deliver cigarettes as well, so people just used to order a bag of prawn crackers and ten boxes of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy at Harvard Business School who did a study um, and came up with this thing called the IKEA effect, which is that you place more value on IKEA or self-assembled furniture, which mm. IKEA furniture you Yeah, is. because you made it yourself. Yeah, and you kind of get attached to it and fall in love with it as you're building, and then by the end of it, you've got a shitty bookcase that doesn't really stand up right, but it's yours. Mm. But you fall in love with it. Is yeah. that, I think that's... He, he said fall in love with it. Those are his words, not mine. All right, okay. Because that would be like a good argument in favour of like a robotic wife, for instance, that you build yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or a Lego wife. Yeah, either yeah. of those. But she's too very tiny. painful. Yeah. She will be tiny. <laughs> <laughs> you get massive Lego people, though, don't you? Do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Lego Land. But not like Lego six at Lego Land. But you'd yeah. have to get married at Lego Land, wouldn't you? But um, I think I think if you're going as far as getting a Lego wife, I think that's probably not an issue. No one's going to be like, no, that's not really my scene. <laughs> You've put on a lot of bricks since we married. <laughs> have you guys ever heard of the National Fruit Collection? No. I saw this. I was reading about apples, and I just saw it. And I've never heard of it, so I don't know anything about it apart from what I saw in this article. But apparently it's in Brogdale in Kent, and they have a living collection of apples, presumably old trees. They have 2,300 traditional varieties of apple. Wow. Really? Apparently they get 40,000 visitors a year. That's so cool. So you get a chance to taste all those varieties that have gone out of public use. They haven't said you can eat them. Yeah, I know. I'm not sure if you're allowed to eat them. Oh. I'm assuming it's like anything in a museum. The the National Fruit Collection was demolished this year. (laughs) It's like hearing there's a zoo with the most rare and wonderful animals in all the world, and you can try all of them in our restaurant. You are the reason they don't have the please don't eat the penguin sign. (laughs) Yeah, but it's isn't that cool? Apparently, That's it's been there since 1952, and I've never heard of it. Until I really today. want to go and visit that. That sounds so I, fun. I've, I found it as well. I think we should visit, actually. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's go. Cool. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you work at the National Fruit Collection, why not invite us? <laughs> Give us a discount. Do you know what was a real the company that was a huge boon for apple eating in the world? 
uh, over the last 15 years. Strong bowl. Um, close, but that's ma- they're major in apple drinking. Um, uh, apple eating? Mm, Is it mm-hmm. an apple tart company? Is it, like Mr. Kipling? It, it is not Mr. Kipling. The answer is... Oh, I think we can get it. Oh, yeah, no, we can on. get it. So uh, it's, I'll give you some clues, Is it like I? a lolly company? It's like flavouring things. Smoothie like, makers. I'll give Innocent. you some, I will give you some <laughs> clues. Um, so, basically, when sliced apples started being a thing, consumption suddenly went massively up. So Sorry, I missed that memo. Sliced apples a thing. I I have one in my lunchbox pretty much every day of school. I'm still stuck on avocado toast. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you buy an apple in the supermarket, some people do, and it's it's sliced and it's in a packet. I didn't know that, no. Have you never seen those in the fruit section? I have seen those. I think think they're also weird. I've never met anyone who's done this, but you can go to McDonald's and exchange your fries for sliced apples or carrots. Oh, those. (laughs) It's like, why? It's the answer McDonald's, Anna. (laughs) There you go. I, I, I was going to tell you I get points there are no points well I'm going to edit out what you oh. just said <laughs> <laughs> it is McDonald's so right. they introduced uh, sliced apples in the 1980s into their um, restaurant fair I think it was the 1980s and overall apple consumption tripled within 10 years Whoa. and it's because children especially but all of us we are more willing to eat more of an apple if it's sliced it's just yeah. easier to eat and apple consumption shoots up and it's also really helped <laughs> in schools across Britain so people before that were just having one bite of an apple and throwing it away weren't they <laughs> but, um, but I think it's also something partly to do with the, just the size of McDonald's as a franchise because when they started giving away free books um, on, in, in their Happy Meals one year they became the largest literary producer in the world or something for literacy time. tripled in America <laughs> Yeah, so they, it's 10% of apples sold in the US, are, of sliced apples sold in the US are from McDonald's. Wow. But exactly the same thing happened in the UK when they introduced them into schools. Then apple consumption went up by almost 100%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's easy in schools, though, because they can just make you eat stuff. But, no, but they tried to make you eat full apples and it didn't work. Oh, and then when you get sliced yeah. apples... I had an apple this morning. Did you? And I'm amazed at my bravery in getting through it without having it sliced for me. <laughs> James has an apple peeling machine by his desk. I do. I've what? never used it. Uh, I bought it for QI because for the opening show, I was going to put it in there as a weird opening thing. And then I bought it and everyone went, that's not weird. <laughs> everyone has one, everyone has one of those. Thing you can have. What yeah. the hell? I've never heard of that. Does it actually work? It looks like a little torture device. It's made yeah. of metal and you basically skewer the apple and you, you, sort of, you put it on a skewer and then you turn it. So it's being like spit roasted, essentially. <sighs> and then there's a kind of little arm that comes down with a little knife on it and you sort of turn it and it peels it off the, it takes off the peel in like a little big, big yeah. little spiral. Mm. It's also for oranges. I only really like an apple on a skewer when it's got a suckling pig wrapped around it. (laughs) (laughs) So there is a shaving brush manufacturer around at the moment called Penhaligons. I think they're quite an old old one with um, a lot of history. Um, On their website, they're asked, do you use badger hair on your shaving brushes? And they say, yes, we do. But they take them from parts of the world where badgers are not endangered and in fact are primarily farmed for their meat. Whoa. And I don't know where that is because I can't see really many places in the world where they farm badgers for meat. (laughs) (laughs) But presumably they must do. Well, I was on a forum, I think it was a Gillette forum, about um, whether the badger hair on razor, uh, on um, brushes was ethically farmed. And they got theirs from China. So I think it was Gillette wrote a really good email saying, you know, we make sure that we source only the most ethical badger hair. So So do you think they farm badger for meat in China? Maybe they do. Maybe. Um, They used to eat badger in Europe 
uh, and old European recipes for badger would tell you to lay it in running water for several days to get rid of its rank flavour. Several days? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just have to tie it up in the river, I guess. Yeah. But rank flavour as well, otherwise. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> or just eat beef. Yeah. Well, do, badgers, they don't make a noise, though, do they? Do, do they, they not? not? Well, do they? They must. Go yeah, on. it depends really? what you do to them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Old MacDonald had a badger, E-I-E-I-O. Yes. With a... What? Do they... Cause... I don't know, do they fuff like um, like ferrets do? Like, fuff, fuff. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I imagine squealing. I reckon they squeal if you run them <laughs> over. <laughs> That'd be a great quiz, by the way. Just sing the Old MacDonald song and put in a new animal <laughs> and the person yeah. has to respond and if they're wrong, they're out of the quiz. That is good. How many animals can you get down the line? Uh, big oh. ships. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Seawise Giant is pretty much the biggest ship. I think it is the biggest. It's longer than the Empire State Building is tall. Wow. Uh, it goes at about 16.5 knots, which is about 30 kilometers an hour. Uh, and its stopping distance is nine kilometers. Nine kilometers? <laughs> wow. If it's going at that speed. And its turning circle in clear weather is three kilometers. So that's wow. like, imagine we're st- standing outside our office yeah. facing south yeah. and we wanted to face north. We'd had to go all the way around to around where Madame Tussauds is God. before we were facing north. Wow. So <laughs> we're like quite close to Trafalgar Square here, aren't we? <laughs> imagine in an emergency, like in the way you would in a car, hitting the brakes on a boat, but nine <laughs> kilometers away. Because <laughs> if you did it just one kilometer too late, you'd be like, we're screwed. We just have to watch ourselves plow into this <laughs> island. I have a fact about um, sort of ba- banning songs and rude songs. Okay. Um, uh-huh. So it's about parental advisory lyrics. You know that mm. sticker that you see on yeah. albums? Do you know who those are partly thanks to? You may do. Can I, can I actually have a genuine guess? Yeah, yeah. Cypress Hill? Ooh, oh, I they were one of the early people to have know. it. Okay. That's not what I've got, although that might be part of the NWA. History. Um, Is it a rap group? It's Al Gore's wife. <laughs> 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 you were close. <laughs> is she part of a rap group? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, no, um, she was listening to Prince with her young daughter, and she heard some very explicit lyrics. They were uh, things like, "I guess you could say she was a sex fiend." I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine, and she was very angry about this because she was listening with her daughter, and she thought it was very inappropriate. So she wrote a book called "Raising PG Kids in an X-Rated Society." <laughs> and as part of this drive, she set up the Parents Music Resource Centre. And they released a list of artists called the Filthy Fifteen. So this contributed oh. to the rise of the parental advisory. Filthy Fifteen is a great name, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's yeah, it's the sequel to the Dirty Dozen. <laughs> <laughs> but there was an album once that got a parental advisory label, in spite of the fact that it was completely instrumental. Wow. Why? Did it have uh, sex noises? No, it didn't. No, it was completely instrumental. It was by Frank Zappa. It's a Frank Zappa album. Mm-hmm. It was called G Spot Tornado. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other bits of trivia from the movie Twister was that because there's a cow which goes through at some point. Yeah. And that was a sort of early CGI cow. Supposedly, I haven't backed this up yet, though. Supposedly, that cow was originally one of the zebras from Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a career change, isn't it? I'm tired of being typecasted as a zebra. <laughs> I also like that you say, I haven't backed this up yet. Like, as soon as we stop this podcast, you're going to be out there. I like this zebra's um, CV. It says, oh, it says here you can also do cow. Is that right? <laughs> you need two zebras, one in the front and one in the back of the cow. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. 
after every podcast done, I go through verifying everything. <laughs> what did they? Um, what do you mean by that? Did they paint the stripes off the zebra, or did they paint stripes onto a zebra for Jumanji? I think maybe because Jumanji came out first. Maybe they had the design of a zebra going round in a tornado. Yeah, and so they just oh. used that oh. footage, or not the footage, but you know what I mean—that yeah. little computer-generated thing to be the cow. I don't, as I say, haven't backed it up yet. <laughs> but going to do it as soon as the podcast. Ends. So my friend Dan, who works in CGI, told me he, a fact, he learned to London Film School, and again, I haven't been able to back this up. So possibly, if someone CGI is listening, who if knows? If you guys these could start doing your research before the podcast in future, that would be ideal. No, but this is—it's one of those things where it's been said, but don't know where the proof is. Um, any time CGI has been used, I, I don't know if it's now, but let's say movies of the last. 10 years roughly the last maybe five years predominantly cgi has been using if they have a person in it they've been using brad pitt because when uh benjamin button was made they made a full dna as it were cgi of brad pitt the full motion of him and rather than needing to replicate that you just use that so the company that built that sells brad pitt to all these different movies that need a body that's cool because they can use all the different ages of of man as well exactly so theoretically in world war z the zombie film would all the zombies that they used have also been Brad Pitt wow I hope they paid him well for that (laughs) I bet they did (laughs) what if there's someone really overweight or something was there a bit in Benjamin Button where he put on lots of two Brad Pitts one in the front one in the back (laughs) (laughs) Um, have you seen the new thing that Ikea is doing where they're using augmented reality this is pretty cool. So um, if you want to get, let's say you want to get a sofa and you want to have it in your front room, but you want to know what it looks like, they've got a new app where you can take a photo of your room and then you can kind of augment a sofa oh, in the place okay, where it wow. would be so you can see what the room would look like with that sofa. That is so cool. That's amazing. Clever, that, isn't it? Yeah. Because they already had, they had like a build your own kitchen in your website. It was like a budget version of The Sims, but without the people in it. Mm. Which we had hours of fun with. We did that for our new house. It <laughs> yeah, was amazing. Yeah. 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 We That's didn't go with them in the end. But quite... we've got pictures of what it might have looked like. <laughs> the thing, you've got a happy end of you then get to build the kitchen whereas I'm just like well I can't do this because I don't have any money and don't actually own anywhere to put a kitchen into oh, but there is a video game as well you'll love this then uh, it's basically a it simulates you building Ikea furniture but on a computer and there's no end to it you know you don't win well, no you just, because you don't even end up with the furniture no yeah up. and the idea is that it basically simulates the frustration of what it's like to build mm. Ikea furniture and you can do it with up to four friends it's a game called Home Improvisation so Home Improvisation mm. um, but with <laughs> thanks for the translation Dan. <laughs> what language were you translating uh, from? I googled that <laughs> uh, turns out it translates as Home Improvisation and uh, it lets you yeah basically through virtual reality exactly what you're doing yeah. Alex so if you want to build stuff outside the kitchens that's there for you oh, that's wait. there is a thing that's happening at the moment uh people keep having sleepovers in ikea shops oh. and ikea mm. are not relaxed about it they are really annoyed How, well surely they could just stop people like as in kick them out well people go in and they hide in cupboards at the end Do of the they? day and you yeah. can't yeah. go through at the end of every working day checking every <laughs> cupboard in the shop there's an old stat isn't there something like it might be one percent as well of um, people in europe were conceived in an ikea bed oh, yeah, yeah one in ten yeah one in ten one is ten. it wow and were they all in the shop yeah <laughs> <laughs> Somebody um, filmed the soap opera set um, entirely in Ikea, and they did it all without Ikea's knowledge. And um, No. Yeah, it was a web series. Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. Mm. So they were in the physical shop, but they just never... 
yeah, staff they, never caught on to no they were always filming with sort of handheld cameras and things and presumably they must have got asked to leave a few times but as in they filmed an entire web series and you know it was just they, so they were just like living in the home yeah. and stuff oh because like yeah because really cool. if it's a kitchen they're setup like set, yeah, yeah, yeah you've like got a sets. set I mean, the only awkward thing is that they, in every scene you've got random people walking around your house and just like picking up, <laughs> picking up your kitchen utensils <laughs> and taking them away so the whole the whole concept of the sitcom has to be about a place where you live where there's a lot of burglars yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you know have we ever said that when nelson died and he famously had hardy next to him uh, cradling him in his arms mm. and the person who wrote the account who was there at the time said that nelson said kiss me hardy and then hardy kissed him and then have we ever mentioned that for about 80 years during the victorian era that story was changed so that he said kismet hardy because they were too squeamish about the idea of two men kissing each other and kismet was uh, turkish for fate and so they said that he'd said wow. kismet Hardy and this and guy the, must have misheard it. No one would have said kiss me, Hardy. That's Why do you say kismet me Hardy? Isn't that because <laughs> he wasn't a fake pirate? It's a missed opportunity, I think. I bet Hardy got a load of those jokes all the way through his naval career. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if the if the story was that Nelson said kismet Hardy, mm. how do they explain away the bit where Hardy then kisses him? <laughs> <laughs> did, they, did they say oh Nelson said oh get off me you weirdo <laughs> I, can I throw in one Nixon fact before we move sure. on mm. can anyone tell me what Richard Nixon's middle name is Milhouse yeah, yeah I'd say Milhouse yeah so it is Milhouse however <laughs> I, I'm going to put forward the uh, reviewed fact that it's in fact a double barrel surname because okay. it is his mother's maiden name Mm. Millhouse was his mum. Okay. So he took that on, and I would say that that's not a... That's quite... So my brother has the same thing with my mum's maiden name. That's quite common, and I would say that's not double-barreled because it's oh, really? not the mother's name anymore, is it? Well, it can still be her name. She might, yeah. Was her name still Millhouse? I don't know, but no, it's... Probably not at It's taken because it's his mother's middle... Sorry, maiden name. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, just I didn't know that connection yeah. in any case. It's a huge, huge news, if true, though, that Richard Nixon's middle name isn't Millhouse. <laughs> it might just be a part of his surname. <laughs> yeah. This well, that's what I'm trying to put forward here, yeah. It is a relatively common thing. I think especially in Scotland they do that a lot, don't they? They okay. use mother's maiden name for middle names. But I think. Dan, if that is took correct, then there are presumably a lot of times his name has been carved into stone where they're going to have to go back and do a yeah. really botched squeeze of the word Millhouse into it. I don't know how many times his name's been written in stone, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, he's not... I don't think he's one of Mount Rushmore, is he, Nixon? No. <laughs> no. Um, but there should be a shit Rushmore with, you know, Andrew Jackson and Nixon and... You Calvin know, Coolidge. And Calvin Coolidge, yeah. Trump. Yeah. Uh, just another thing about his name. He was named after a British king. So there's a thought that his family tree actually goes back and he descends from King Edward III of England. That's a sort oh, of um, okay. an idea that was put out there. Um, but he's named after Richard the Lionheart, and he is one of four brothers, and all of them also carry English king names. Really? Yeah. What, are they, what do you have the names? Well, uh, f- there are only about three other English Sorry, names, sorry. The three of them carried it, and then there was Francis, who was the name of uh, his dad, mm-hmm. who I carried think, his dad's um, name. Isn't Richard the Lionheart far back enough that everyone is directly descended from him? I think he is. I think yes. Edward III is. So everyone on earth is directly descended. What? Because not, not everyone, not everyone, not everyone, no. everyone in Britain. Everyone, oh, okay. Pretty much everyone in Western Europe. So. But everyone in America as well, because 
But Danny Dyer did Who Do You Think You Are? And they found that he's related to Edward III. And it's this huge story. And actually, the odds of him not being related... It would have been an amazing news story if he had not been related <laughs> yeah. to Edward III. Well, can yeah. you, I don't think that's going to sell many papers, is it? <laughs> Danny Dyer <laughs> not related to Edward III. Explain the odds. The odds are that 99% of everyone is related to Edward III. It's suddenly a very interesting story. I see yeah. that, but then people don't usually go much past the headline, do they? <laughs> <laughs> and if the headline is Danny Dyer isn't related to Edward III. But that's an interesting story because the odds are... 99% that he would be. In my newspaper, it's going to have very long headlines and very short <laughs> <Yeah>. articles. <laughs> Country music has the most intelligent lyrics, apparently, because one of the measures, which sounds like not a great measure, is the number of syllables in words, and it doesn't have filler words, so you don't get a lot of... Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff you get. I see what you mean, but if you say that the most um, advanced songs are the ones with more syllables, then the most advanced song in history is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> yeah, it takes years of study to understand that. <laughs> the, study, the example the study used was country music uses more syllables using words such as cigarettes, tackle box, and hillbilly. <laughs> tackle box. <laughs> Apparently. So mm. that's too advanced for an, an eight-year-old, obviously. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, also on Too Big to Fit, I googled Too Big to Fit, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson oh, yeah. is oh, too big to fit in a lot of the cars in the latest Fast and the Furious. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. Yeah. So there was an interview with him. And they're asking him, why are, you ne- why are you always in trucks and not in the little cars? And he's like, well, I'm too big to fit in there. Oh, my God. Wow. That, isn't it? Makes sense, yeah. yeah. They should drill a hole in the ceiling or something. Is he too tall or too... He's very muscular. He's yeah. muscular, yeah. yeah. Um, but that is extraordinary. He's good, that, isn't it? Does he have, could they have an adapted one where he's just got one seat in the middle so it's not a two-seater? I guess they could, although they'd have to write that into the storyline of the film. <laughs> yeah. What storyline there is of the film. <laughs> um, if you want to collect semen from macaques, it's quite hard. Macaques? Um, macaques, little they're primates, little, little monkey things. Oh, yeah. Um, what they used to do is they would stimulate their um, genitals with electricity. Um, sometimes a little weak jolt, but it would make them ejaculate. Um, but one researcher realized that actually they were ejaculating quite a lot anyway um, because they do it like four times an hour or something like that. Wow. Um, yeah, they average four times an hour ejaculating when they're just having fun and just on their own. What? <laughs> All the time? <laughs> well, not four when they're times? asleep. <laughs> no, but <laughs> when they're asleep, the heart just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> but do they ejaculate 40 times a day, you know? Um on yeah, aver- I yeah, think they do. I'm I th- seeing on- what? So what I'm seeing here on this bit of paper is on the island the males masturbate on average four times an hour. So that's on average four times an hour. They're gonna have some better hours than that. <laughs> In a good hour. <laughs> um, and so what she realised this um, researcher is what she could do is just kind of hang around because it happens so frequently, and then when it happens, just k- quickly get in there with a pipette and suck it up. Uh, and she does that. Um, the main problem being that they often lick the ground or their hands clean before she can get close uh, because semen happens to be highly nutritious and they don't want to waste the nutrients. Devious. Devious mm. macaques. Yeah. Yeah, they are randy, though. So yeah. randy. Um, <laughs> you can also. Four times an hour. Yeah, they like to masturbate. Yeah. Look, we all like to masturbate, but they, they should get a job. <laughs> You know when crocodiles die, they bloat and float. They're bloaters and floaters um, because of all these gases being released that keep them afloat. And they float for over a month without sinking. Whoa. So 
I don't understand why we don't see crocodiles floating down well, we our must rivers do. all the time. We must do, right? Maybe we do in countries with crocodiles. Just think they're lugs. Yeah. yeah. Or crocodiles, because they, they're very stealth, aren't That's they, true. crocodiles? They're very they don't stealth. do much movement, so if you saw one going like that, you'd think, oh, he's on a cheeky mission. Uh, cockroaches go on the back, don't they, when they die, famously? Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, the reason being that they have long legs for an insect... And they have a high centre of gravity. The centre of gravity is quite near their bum, kind of thing. Mm. And as they get older, they kind of start to get weighed down to their bum side. And then when they kind of eventually die, they flip over and they don't have enough um, energy in their arms. They don't have enough strength in their legs to put them back over. And the same thing happens if you give them kind of pesticides they spasm uh-huh. uh, and they'll flip over and then they won't have the energy left in their legs to flip them back. So they're flipping over their head. Go- they're, not fl- they're not rolling over sideways. They're flipping over vertically because their bum's weighing yeah, them down. Exactly. They've they do got- a backflip. Well, I don't know if it's exactly like that. It could be a slightly sideways, slightly backflippy thing. I don't know about that. Right. But basically, you're walking around with a heavy bum and as you get older, you're less able to deal with it. We've, we know how it feels, <laughs> Tortoises uh, have that same problem. Do they? Obviously, because yeah. they've got round shells. But they have a, this re- really weird balancing act that they need to strike because bigger animals obviously do better because they're stronger and they can fight other males and they can compete more. But also, if they get too big, uh, a bigger shell means that it's hard to right yourself again. So you have all the advantages of being big, but if you lose one fight and you then get rolled over onto your back, it's much likely that you won't be able to right yourself again. Oh, yeah. it's a trade-off. It's basically yeah. putting all your eggs in one basket yeah. to be really big. There's a really interesting thing about tortoises, which we covered on QI uh, years and years ago, and that is that it's possible to invent a shape that you put it on a table and it always flips over to a certain side. Okay. Just due to the shape of the thing. Uh, it's spelt like a gombok, but I think it's pronounced more like gumbuts. Anyway, so um, this shape has been invented by computer scientists, and it took us decades to do it, and they managed to do it through using computers. But tortoise shells, some tortoise shells have this exact same shape. Wow. And so if they flip over, they naturally wow. kind of roll back onto their feet. Wow. That's so cool. That's awesome. Was the inventor of the gombok inspired by turtles or tortoises or is that i believe he was i've met him and i can't remember right or was think... it vice versa you're going to ask yes the, the turtles yeah. <laughs> went to one of his shows and thought guys we should try that yeah i was so proud of myself for not finishing the sentence you clearly knew where i was going with that i was like no nah. because james started talking i thought ah oh, that looks like a clever question now. <laughs> i wasn't gonna let him save you <laughs> Uh, diamonds are the hardest substance in the world. I read a... Whoop, they're not. James Look, shaking his head. Vin Diesel. Vin, Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. What is then? Is they're the hardest naturally occurring substance. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Yes, the hardest naturally occurring substance. You can't scratch a diamond except with another diamond you can. Yeah. So you can scratch a diamond with a diamond. Mm. That's, that's what it means. Nuts. That's what hardness means in this sense. It means that you can scratch something with something. Yeah. So hardness is whether something can be scratched, and toughness is whether it shatters into a thousand pieces if you hit it with something. Ah. So diamonds, because the layers of carbon are very tough, uh, you know, internally, but you hit it with a hammer, bang, smashes. Right. Yeah. So don't what? try that. Don't next. do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And that's I think I think we may have said this before. That's what traders used to do. Uh, if someone mm. had mined a diamond, uh, there were some unscrupulous people who'd say, "Well, okay, let's have a look, and we'll just give it a quick test to see if it's a real diamond." Uh, I'll just hit it with this hammer, bang, smashes, and then he says, "Oh, I'm so sorry, it wasn't a real diamond after all; it was something else." But, but I'll keep the shards. I'll keep the shards, and I'll pay you a nominal sum for yeah. them. I'll pay you a tiny bit to keep yourself going, you know. And that, and then they just sell oh. off a load of smaller diamonds. Oh, very clever. Very clever, yeah. Or you could glue them back together and make a bigger diamond again. <laughs> oh, God. I think that's where the imperfections come in. Come on down to Anna's <laughs> shitty diamond store. <laughs> <laughs> We've got loads of rubbish diamonds full of glue. <laughs> uh, I've got some stuff on quarantine. Ooh, oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, it comes from the Italian for 40, Caranti, which... Um, uh-huh. Because you used to have to stay 40 days um, in quarantine. Oh, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Incubation period of the Black Death, supposedly. Okay. Um, they put astronauts in quarantine. That's right. Um, when they come back down. Do you know why? Yeah, because of radiation and uh, in case uh, in space they were given some sort of flu disease. Or something. It, was, it was to do with diseases, wasn't it? Well, it Alien is a little disease. bit. Aliens with smallpox. Yeah, yeah, so you might think if you were a sci-fi fan that it was to stop alien diseases coming to Earth. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually because their immune system is lessened due to them being in space so when they come back down they need to go in quarantine so they don't pick up bugs on earth isn't it, te- so isn't it technically that you're putting the entire rest of the world in quarantine yeah. <laughs> yes that's, that you must just, be true of all quarantine you though, just right? flip around the exit and entrance sign <laughs> <laughs> yeah I suppose that is true yeah there was you know just uh, just picking up on that quickly um, when the Apollo 11 astronauts came down they, they had to do that they had to be in quarantine in this room where they had a sort of kitchen in there and living quarters and so on, and they had to stay in there for ages um, before they could do any of their parades around the world. Wow. Um, and what ended up happening was if a scientist accidentally kind of was infected, as it were, with um, with the room that they were kept in because they were delivering stuff and so on, I guess in And for them it was for possible space cooties, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Those scientists then had to move in with them. So <laughs> there was a whole batch oh, no. of people that subtly got, inf- or might have been infected, so therefore needed to be And then the next people came along to give them some food and they got exactly. infected. Exactly. It's like a yeah. horror film. It's like, oh, where's, yeah. where's Sarah? I better go and find out. Oh, no, where's yeah. Bernard gone now? It's and a bit was... like a game of sardines. It is, it is, exactly. And um, there was a suggestion, and I'm not saying this is true, but there was a suggestion that um, some of the people who accidentally had to go into the quarantine looked like ladies of the night uh, who made their way into there and had to live out. I with don't them. even know what the implication you're making is. Um, prostitutes. prostitutes. Wait, space were they prostitutes? Just... No, because it's back on Earth now. <laughs> but and also space prostitutes don't <laughs> exist. Yeah. Oh, yes. That. <laughs> yeah. But it really was another time, wasn't it, the 60s? Yeah. I mean, it literally was, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at some skillful number people, mm-hmm. and I was looking at like the world record for memorizing numbers and stuff like that. Okay. And the world record for most digits memorized in one minute has two different sections, one with the light on and one with the light <laughs> off, because apparently it's miles easier when the light's off. That makes sense, what, because of no distractions? I guess so, right? But you can close your eyes. How do you see the number to memorise? (laughs) Maybe that's another reason. But, yeah, maybe you're allowed a little torch or something, I don't know. Perhaps they give you an audio recording of it? Maybe, I don't know. So this is for binary digits, so it's zeros and ones. Okay, the the specific one I'm looking at. And the record for most zeros and ones memorised in one minute with the light on 
is 107. Okay. Uh, with the lights off, it's 273. Oh, Whoa. wow. Isn't that amazing? That makes that much difference. That's incredible. So all maths exams should be held in the dark, shouldn't they? I guess so, if they were all in binary. But, <laughs> mine all work. <laughs> Did you, just quickly, one thing on chocolate, I think it's quite funny. Bernie Madoff, remember him, um, is now running a chocolate racket in prison. So Who's he again, sorry? You know, he's the guy who... Uh, it was he ran a massive of... Ponzi scheme, didn't he? Ponzi scheme? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he was a businessman who, it turned out, was stealing lots of people's investments. So he sure. got millions and millions of pounds and um, stole lots of money. And he's running this chocolate racket. And in prison in America now, he's really respected because he's stolen more money than anyone else in there. So he wrote this letter to his daughter saying he's quite the celebrity in there. Other inmates treat him like a mafia don and call him Uncle Bernie. Uh, I can't walk anywhere without people shouting their greetings and encouragement. It's really quite sweet. And he's bought up all the chocolate in the prison. And now he runs this racket where the only person you can get it from is him. And so he makes a big profit. How does it work? Because it sounds like that should be illegal, right? I... It's unusual to have people committing a very similar crime in prison to the one they were put in there for. Yeah. yeah. And then to announce it, I mean, do but prison guards not read news? Or... But that's not, it's not illegal. It's not illegal. No, what, just to buy up, to get in there first and buy up all the stuff so you can sell it on for a profit? That's it, okay. It's immoral. Right. It's a bit of a monopoly, but, but I don't think there's like anti-monopoly rules in prisons. It's touting. It is touting, yeah. Okay. Well, good luck to him. I, yeah. I think that's what you're saying. <laughs> Couldn't have happened to a nice guy. <laughs> I'd love to know where the boxes are from Deal or No Deal <laughs> You'll notice I said nothing in that whole bit Because I was busy thinking God, yeah, did they, did they I reckon warehouse? Noel Edmonds has got them in his house Yeah He probably, I reckon he uses them to wrap Christmas presents Oh, uh, that would be such a good idea yeah. If he doesn't and he's listening he But that's should. a great Christmas present So you unwrap it, there's a box, you open the box There's nothing inside and you're like, oh, this is terrible And he says, actually, it's one of the boxes from yes. Deal or No Deal And you're like, that's the best present ever, Noel Edmonds And Christmas is saved mm. yeah. I would be Just still me? unhappy with a Deal or No Deal <laughs> box As my Christmas present Just would if you? anyone's thinking about it yeah. If it was a real I, one that was used on the show I really intensely do not want that as a present Great. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I'm sure someone else will have it. Yeah. <laughs> Bought it now. Um, Sorry, Noel. We thought she'd love it. Um, or he might use it for like storage. Yeah. Or if he goes shopping, putting his shopping in the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> he just goes everywhere. If you look at every photo of him these days, he's actually got a box with him. If he gets fired, once he got fired from a job, do you think he cleared his desk in those boxes? Oh, yeah, when it got cancelled. Yeah. 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 How do you move them though? Has he put handles on them or wheels? Uh, yeah, because they don't have handles, do they? No, not very mm. easy to carry. How many items of check-in luggage will you have today, sir? I've got 15. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read a thing. There's a basketball player called Jimmy Butler. Um, he plays for the Chicago Bulls. I think he's just been traded, but I'm not sure to where. But he, I read an article, this is the in the headline. It says that Jimmy Butler took out his car rearview mirror as a reminder to never look back. <laughs> <That'd be> awesome. <laughs> I was promptly arrested. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you heard of the North American walnut sphinx caterpillar? No. That's a goodie. <laughs> it, um, it pretends to be a bird to freak birds out. <laughs> so a bird freaks out to by other birds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're the one thing they're most used to, right? They're used to hanging around with birds. Sorry, I should clarify. They make a noise like a freaked out bird. Oh. Which freaks out. oh to so, scare the other incoming birds away. Exactly. So right. what they do, it's amazing. They, um, to make the noise they have uh, not quite lungs in the sense that we understand they have these holes along their sides called spiracles, spiracles exactly 
and to make the noise, they squeeze themselves shut like an accordion. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And that, when they do that, it makes a noise that goes, ee! And it sounds exactly like a bird's alarm call saying there is wow. a bird of prey nearby or get out of here, we're, all, we're under attack. And so the other birds all fly off as soon as this caterpillar makes it. And they're doing it to scare the birds away. They're doing it to scare the birds away because the birds would prey on them. Is that, a, is that evolution or is that a coincidence that the note, the, the, the specific note? <laughs> that's that evolution. everything's evolution. Tom. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we all are. <laughs> what, what was the other option other than it Coinc- being evolution? Coincidence. <laughs> well, yeah. It could be evolution by coincidence. It, yeah. probably, it probably started as a bit of a coincidence. That's, that's what I was but, looking for, But that's for, guys. how evolution works. Evolution <laughs> always starts as a coincidence, which then evolves into being a pattern. Does it? That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but if you if you were an animal and you were living on the Galapagos and yeah. the trees were too high and the leaves were too high on the tree, it's not a coincidence for you to grow your neck to try and. Yes, it is. It's a coincidence Why? that there was someone who was born with a really long neck. No, but and don't you grow your neck? No. Oh no. my god. It's, that's Lamarckism. <laughs> Uh, that's Lamarckism, the original evolution. <laughs> and in some people's eyes, the best. <laughs> no, one individual gets born with a slightly longer neck, slightly. Not one individual is born with 50 vertebrae. <laughs> and, that's a coincidence. And then, and then has know. a million children because it's got all the leaves. <laughs> Slight, slightly longer neck yeah. and then can get one or two more leaves and then it's a bit more likely to pass on its genes. Yes. I knew that bit. Right. Did you, though? (laughs) It it just sounded a lot like you didn't. Yeah, when I was reading about uh, caterpillars, um, I read this statement that said that basically all they're doing is collecting food for the the moment where they go into their uh, chrysalis Mm. stage. Um, So they're just... Their whole life as a caterpillar is just to feed themselves Mm. in order... For that, uh. like like how I moved house the other day, it'd be like as if my whole life was just collecting boxes for they the must move. Be, I mean, in order to live and breathe and, you know, for their processes to work, they have to be metabolising some of the food. They can't just all be... I mean, they're just creating a... No, yeah, they're, well. they're effectively just like, I just need to just eat and get myself ready. Yeah, but ready they're, they're, for they are also using the food, yeah, a yeah. lot of it, for energy as a caterpillar. Yes, totally. Yeah. But what's, no, the, but point? But what's the point of using so, all that energy? Yeah. It's so that you can turn into a butterfly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same as Dan saving up for his new house. Like, he has spent some of the money on, yes. you know, coke and prostitutes and whatever. <laughs> yeah. But eventually he's been saving up for this house. Got yes. it. They're putting something aside, is what you're saying. They've got a little savings account on the side. Yeah, but it's it defines their whole existence because then they're a new thing they're new it's a whole new account who are you to say what defines the existence of a caterpillar i don't know i read it in a in an article i don't know if a caterpillar would agree with that why they probably wouldn't be able to (laughs) argue me to (laughs) probably don't even know they're caterpillars (laughs) (laughs) do you know um auctioneers watch videos of other auctioneers at their best Really? Sort of like the greatest hits of auctioneering. So do you mean go- like auctioneers have to do that as part of their training? No, or just no, for they, fun? they watch it to to marvel at the complexity of what certain auctioneers have done. So there's a guy called Chris Burge who's acknowledged as Christie's greatest auctioneer. Some people acknowledge him as the greatest auctioneer of of, um, of all time. What a <laughs> thing! I, what I, a <laughs> thing! <laughs> I think I've slightly made that up, <laughs> but um, he basically so he joined Christie's in 1970. 
And he averaged. Now, this I'm just going to read this sentence as it's written. Mm-hmm. I didn't fully understand it because I can't believe it's true. Averaging more than one million dollars a minute in sales up to his retirement in 2012. No, can't be true. Can't be true, right? <laughs> he speaks no, very that's, fast. That's that's his. That's per minutes across his sales, isn't it? So if an auction takes 50 minutes, mm-hmm. then his average was one million a minute. Ah, in, in the 50 so minutes. So you've got a 50 million auction. So if he sells one painting for $25 million in one minute, he yep. can then sit around for 24 minutes. Yeah, yeah. really not trying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that makes That's sense. amazing. But so there's a video of him that auctioneers love to watch, and he, and he sold the 10 most expensive works ever sold at auction in the world. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and the video is of him selling Monet's water lilies in New York, and in it, he's taking bids from three people in the room and two people on the phone. And what they're watching is the magic of him being able to mm. juggle between it all, be charming and witty. And it's a sort of masterclass in auctioneering videos. Well, I mean, I listen to other podcasts, so it's the same kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to, yeah, if you do love auctioneering and you're an auctioneer, of course you're going to watch yeah. videos. I just didn't know that they existed, that, you know, that there's a greatest hits out there. Yeah. There are DVDs and things you can get. The must greatest be, right? auction is. Yeah, there must probably be. are. I don't think that's the biggest auction of all time, though, even the Water Lilies one. I've got one that was bigger. Go on. Yeah. The entire Roman Empire <laughs> uh, yeah. was auctioned. Was auctioned off in 193 oh, AD. Wow. Yeah. It was auctioned off by the Praetorian Guard, who took bids from a couple of people. It was a closed auction, it wasn't anyone could bid. And um, <laughs> this is according to Cassius Dio, who wrote a history of Rome. And. Um, uh, two people were bidding, Saul Picianus and uh, Marcus Didius Salvius Julianus, and he made the maximum bid. Supposedly, it was the equivalent of about five million quid in today's money, which I think surely someone else could have stumped up more. But well, it was past its yeah. best in 19380. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, some damage. Um, <laughs> but then. Several careless owners. <laughs> So at the moment, British police are investigating a caterpillar thief (gasps) who has stolen from a nature reserve in Norfolk some milk parsley plants, right? Now, there is a kind of butterfly in Britain called the swallowtail. It's the largest native British butterfly, and the caterpillars only eat milk parsley. And these plants in Norfolk had swallowtail caterpillars on them. Mm-hmm. So they, the police think that they've been stolen and the plants will be kept alive and then eventually the caterpillars will turn into butterflies and then collectors will kill the butterflies. And they're very rare, these butterflies, because they only feed on these plants. Right. So, so, wait, you see? so someone's stolen the plants in order to get the caterpillars that they can sell to collectors? Yes. But well, no, a... to, to turn the caterpillars into butterflies to be killed for collectors, yeah. Yeah, but then uh, you're breeding caterpillars, I suppose, so you are making more of the species. Then right? you're immediately killing the butterfly yeah. as soon as it comes out of the thing. Right. Yeah. God, it swings in roundabouts, isn't no, it? No, it's not. <laughs> it's all swings. <laughs> <laughs> Crap playground. <laughs> Do you know they used to play cricket on the ice in the fens? In um, this was in North, uh, in what's it called, in East Anglia, in England. Was that not quite confusing if they're all wearing their whites? <laughs> um, no, this would take place uh, in the 18th, in the 19th century, and I read one account saying that the fielding and batting of many of the players was considered to be far superior and more graceful than any cricketing on the green. Really? Oh. So apparently, playing cricket on ice is better. Were they were they in skates or were they just running? Around I think on the they ice? were on skates. Yeah, that must be amazing. Yeah, I mean the ball will go so far if Imagine you hit it, it goes out. Well. Yeah, yeah. Standing on skates to bat. 
Hang on, why would the ball go far? Because it was skid on the ice. Oh, once it hit the ground. Yeah. I thought you meant it gave you superhuman power of hitting something <laughs> on the ice. Um, just quickly on the Dutch and how good they are at skating. Oh, they're amazing at speed skating, aren't they? This is the thing. Okay, so they're now so good that other countries are refusing to play against them. <laughs> there's, no point. there's no point. Um, in Sochi, in 2014, uh, the Norwegians dropped out of the 10,000-metre speed skating race, ostensibly because they said, oh, we want to focus on the team event. Actually, it's just because they knew they'd get marmalised by, the, um, by the Dutch. Really? And so, and Norway loves skating as well, so that's a big thing. So the women's 1,500-metre team, they came first, second, third, and fourth <laughs> in that event. And out of 36 medals, they, the Dutch got 23. No other team got more than three. Maybe it's oh, unfair, because they're the tallest nation, aren't they? So perhaps it's unfair because their legs are too long. But they will have a higher centre of gravity? Yeah. Meaning? Sure. <laughs> it's easier for them to fall over. Are we sure that yes. being tall is an advantage in ice skating? I think We are saying. certainly not I sure think, of that. I think <laughs> really long legs might help, I guess, if you're trying to, if you're propelling yourself forward, because you can go further from each stroke, maybe, what, and it's like a more efficient use of energy, perhaps. I don't know. I I'm would guessing. suggest that if Jamaica were to take part in this event, they might be as good as, if not better, than the Dutch. I think we've just come suggesting... up with a sequel to Cool Runnings. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the fastest skater, the world record holder for the fastest skater is a Russian um, called um, Pavel Kuliznikov. And he, he's, he's he, whatever, what, how would you say it then, James? Kuliznikov? Kuliznikov, yeah, there you go. Called <laughs> Pavel Kuliznikov. And to be fair, I didn't even read the name until just now. So I, should have, I should have written the phonetic spelling down. Um, and he, he went at, he was registered going at uh, 53 kilometers an hour, registered going, not by like a police camera, but like, like, <laughs> like he, but like 50, I just think that's astonishingly fast for a skater on it. And he was in a 500 meter race, so he picked up speed fast. How many is that in miles an hour, please? I don't. I can't be bothered with this. Thirty-two point nine one. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fa- that's fast, isn't it? Thirty like, miles yeah. an hour. Yeah. Can you say Bolt run at thirty miles an hour? He's not. It doesn't no. normally happen in miles an hour, does it? They do it in seconds per hundred meters. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be nicer if it was miles an hour for the spectators. He can run at approximately nine point nine seconds per hundred meters. Mm. I'm not sure what that is in miles per hour. Someone at home can work it out. <laughs> I think it's less. I think it's about twenty that he runs, isn't it? No, that's not very. Like that's that. like a built-up area. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was looking up lonely insects and I was looking up cockroaches and they suffer from isolation syndrome if they're left on their own and they die so or they d- are not able to mature properly and wow. this is really weird so the way that co- cockroaches are really affectionate physically so you know if you see them they're always crawling all over each other and stuff and touching each other and it turns out all this physical com- physical contact stimulates them to grow so if you isolate a cockroach wow. even if you give it food and water then it won't grow and it won't molt properly and it won't mature but you can make it mature by poking it with a feather (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and that convinces them that they're having this physical contact with their fellow cockroaches and they grow properly mature yeah that's amazing does it have to be a feather or it can probably actually be any kind of slightly ticklish device is there a limit to how big a cockroach grows yes because they can maintain it right like if they were if they were touching another cockroach they're like i just want to grow a bit today and so they'd touch a cockroach so you're saying if you get a cockroach and you tickle it for like let's say seven weeks yeah it might be the size of a dog exactly that's my question maybe try it I think Andy's sceptical. <laughs> I am sceptical, and I'm surprised, Anna, that you're encouraging this line of inquiry in Dan. <laughs> Andy, we've kiboshed a lot of the stupid things he said today. I thought we'd just let this one pass. <laughs> so for many years, in many places, um, collecting flies and giving them to the government has gotten you money. 
Um, so in China, uh, officials in Luoyang um, offered $125 per 2,000 dead flies during wow. a campaign. Really? Um, each fly was worth about seven cents. That's was that a massive amount for a fly? Yeah. Is, was this recently, it? sorry? Oh, it was quite recently, yeah. Wow. Uh, a in, cent is weighs and is quite a lot bigger than a fly as well. Yeah, that's not really how money works. No, it's not, <laughs> but it's, just, it's interesting that usually usually the money's less than the thing. No, you wait till you find out. Tool, actually, that's not you go to the tool. shop with loads of <laughs> flies and they say, you can't pay with that. And you're like, well, it's heavier than a 10 pound note. It's weird because a sandwich weighs a lot more than a 20 quid, but the 20 pound note is heavier. It doesn't really make sense, does it? Sorry, I completely retract that. That's a ridiculous thing to say. So in... Because um, then you wouldn't be able to buy anything. Diamonds are really expensive. I just bought, bought my first house. Oh, man, that must be tough. Yeah, I had to find a coin as big as a house. <laughs> That's what happens on the island of Yap in Micronesia. Oh, yeah. Because they have massive stone coins with holes in them, and the bigger, the better, really. Yeah, that's where I was yeah. going with that. <laughs> Salvador Dali, he was obsessed with um, breasts, wasn't he? As in sure. it, lots of his art depicts breasts, but he, his ultimate obsession was uh, with the udder. Because mm. he said it's a very weird sexual thing. It's half penis and half udder. What? Oh, sorry, no, it's, it's all udder. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's half penis, half breast, all udder. Um, in what sense is an udder half penis? It's, it's incorrect. <laughs> Salvador Dali was incorrect. He went out on a limb. He was wrong. A UFC fighter called Justine Kish, uh, she was in a fight, and halfway through the match, she was held in, I think, in a stranglehold, and it, as a result, she, she pooed herself mid-fight in the octagon. Nice. Uh, still won the match, and um, she got offered a bum-wiping product as her sponsor for Do future matches. toilet paper? No, it's, it's wipes. <laughs> she goes to the shop going, right um, yes, can I um, have some bum-wiping product, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it no, sounds um, like the Tesco is like equivalent when they're not allowed to call it Jaffa Cakes. So they have some like orange-filled biscuits with chocolate on top. <laughs> with, without the chocolate on top, please, for this one. <laughs> but actually, this wasn't toilet paper you about to say. No, no, it's wipes. It's, oh, okay. it's bum wipes. Wet yeah. wipes. Wet wipes for adults as opposed to babies. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so she thought she was going to do it. And she was really good because she won the match anyway. And she came off and they asked her about it. And she said, shit happens. Did she? Very good. It's very nice. Did she use it as a weapon in the fight? I mean, in no holds barred. <laughs> there's no, there's no weapons in UFC. But there's not no even. rules, right? Yeah. There's no rules. It's that's not eye gouging if you rub your shit in someone's <laughs> face. That's true. Oh, do you mean did she use the poo in the fight, not her wipes? Yeah. <laughs> right. I had to wipe the floor with you. <laughs> so have you heard of the uh, in Holland? There's a race in Holland called the Elfstedentocht. Uh, Levin Skyro told me about this actually um, so it's this race that happens well it happens whenever it's able to happen so sometimes it doesn't happen for 20 years sometimes it'll happen in consecutive years and it's apparently a massive event in Holland when it does happen and it is a uh, ice skating tour that is about 200 kilometres long and goes to 11 cities and that's what the name means it's the 11 city tour mm. um, and apparently it's just a massive event and what happens is every year everything gets cold and freezes in winter and they go around they the the race, the the racetrack is uh, goes uh, along it's the like network canals of canals. Stuff, yeah, yeah, exactly. And they have to make sure that the ice is thick enough because lo- it's an amateur contest and the professionals and amateurs take part. And so there, loads and loads of people are, uh, take part in it. And then 
pretty much the rest of the country all call in sick and watch it on television <laughs> and, and uh, apparently that's like a thing like, if it's like they stay home like watch it it's a bit like I don't know the Grand National here but everybody watches it or something yeah or, and, uh, or any, any, any sporting events massive event, sporting events event, but everyone yeah. watches it yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah um, I but, have heard of that but um, I think global warming means it hasn't happened for a while it right? hasn't happened for a while there was one that was going to happen in 2012 and they called it and what happens is they decide they're going to call it and then it has to happen in the next 48 hours so everyone has to rush to get prepared but then it didn't happen even though they called it because the ice just wasn't thick so exciting and, and there was actually speaking of ice preparation they do this thing called ice transplanting which is taking thick ice from one place and moving it to say a bit under a bridge where the ice isn't very um, thick and to kind of fusing it to the ice it's amazing. like a skin transplant but yeah isn't that oh. really cool because it has to be six inches thick along the entire mm. 200 kilometers of the course mm. and obviously that's very seldom going to happen yeah why aren't the climate change lobby using this more in their PR? I really think that might persuade the likes of Donald Trump and, and other such people. Surely, if we know that this canal ice race is going to end, I reckon Trump people would step awesome, up to the plate. Yeah. Yeah. If Donald Trump has a secret passion for ice race racing, I don't think he does. Who I think, wouldn't yeah. for this? Yeah. It is incredible. It's you, so cool. Do you mind if I ask why people are monitoring the koala populations? Do we know that? Yeah, I think... Um, do you well, mind I, if I... It wasn't that personal a question, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, stop me if I'm being really invasive. Um, <laughs> Did you guys see that photo from March of this year? There was a guy sitting at a train station. He looked up and he just couldn't believe what he saw. He took a photo to prove it. Um, he was stopped at Seven Sisters Station. Yeah. And sitting right there on the platform were seven nuns. Oh. Seven nuns, seven sisters, and uh, he took a photo of it. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Do you think an eighth nun wanted to come on that trip, but they were like, yeah, yeah, guys, no. we can't. <laughs> is, no, this is like the moon landing's being fake. If you look in the photo, there is an eighth nun. Well, there's an eighth man. No, there's... there's well, there's one man, but no. he's an eighth in the party. Oh, I thought I saw an eighth nun when I looked at the photo. Oh, really? And I, so was there an eighth I, nun? Hiding behind the other oh, nuns. You're right, there's an eighth nun. Oh, my God. Ruined. Oh man! Sorry. I'm sorry. I feel like I've killed Christmas. God, also, did you did you do it that easy with the moon landings as well? <laughs> <laughs> um, have you heard of open source seeds? Um, no. no. Okay, so is that seeds that don't charge you to read them? Kind of. Okay. No. <laughs> I think I think these are the seeds that are in these libraries. These open source seeds. Well, so in the 1930s, the USA started applying patent law to plants. So there are various plants what? Wh- where the intellectual property is owned. Like you can own an avocado. Well, you can own an avocado, <laughs> but you can own the whole avocado. The concept of the avocado. The, the whole species of the... Yeah. They've got this new kind of rice called golden rice, mm-hmm. which is, is hardier and it grows faster and better and therefore has prevented starvation. That is owned by someone, the intellectual property for it. Does that mean you're not allowed to grow it or you're not allowed to give it the name? I think you're not allowed to then... I'm not sure about this. I think you're then not allowed to breed it, develop it, and then make money selling your own extra strain of it. But I'm not certain. So anyway... No commercial use, basically. And I think that's because that specific breed of rice was grown in space. 
and that and it was like the means that it took to do that it then means well therefore those people deserve a kind of a cut of any profits well i don't think it's the specifically the space thing but but, but for I, I just things, think, yeah yeah that but that's specific oh, I I see, yeah, yeah. the effort that went into making that new breed of rice yeah so if yeah. you it's kind of like developing a medicine in some ways yeah that if yeah. you develop the medicine you then get the rights to it because you've spent money developing it but they've now got this thing called open source seeds german breeders are experimenting with it you're not allowed to patent anything that you get out of it any new great strains that you get mm-hmm. but you don't have to pay anybody to do the developing and okay isn't that weird yeah mm. that's truly bizarre and it doesn't seem morally great surely if you're not allowed to let anyone grow this thing that could be a great food source that but you can it propagate might, it might not incentivize people to develop new strains if you can't own it so there's a bit of a that's bit of capitalism a versus communism <laughs> wrapped up in one simple sentence <laughs> imagine you'd like everybody to have enough to eat anna well well i'm sorry <laughs> I suppose it's not a million miles away from patenting a Mars bar. Or, or a strain of apple, as in like a Granny Smith or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. If Fanna was in charge, just be formless lumps of chocolate and nougat that we'd be eating now. <laughs> and everyone would get one, wouldn't they? It's a better world. 